from Podcast One. This is a Target USA special report. The anatomy of a Russian attack on the U.S. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. This is part two of our four-part special report series, Anatomy of a Russian Attack on the U.S. The U.S. intelligence community has concluded Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered operatives to interfere in the U.S. 2016 presidential election. A Target USA investigation that began in November of 2016 examined how the attack happened, when it started, who was involved, and what lay ahead. We conducted dozens of interviews in the U.S. and abroad with current and former U.S. intelligence officials, members of Congress, cybersecurity and intelligence experts, foreign government officials, Russian nationals, and American victims. In the previous episode, we told you about an odd occurrence. Just after 8 a.m. on September 11, 2014, the Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness in St. Mary Parish, Louisiana, began getting urgent phone calls from residents about a text alert. It says, toxic fumes hazard warning in this area. Duval Arthur Jr. is director. He was on duty at the time and recalls the message that came in. Take shelter, check local media. Within two hours, social media users from the Gulf of Mexico to the Great Lakes were inundated with posts about the event. Images of the explosion, a screenshot of the CNN homepage appeared. Even a YouTube video showing someone watching a TV broadcast in which ISIS had allegedly claimed responsibility for an attack on the plant. But not a word of it was true. It was all an elaborately staged hoax. So who did it? I was told that it was the Russians, but I have no I, I have no information on that, none whatsoever. As mentioned in the first part of this series, we asked the FBI about the attack and what they could tell us. We were told they would get back to us. Well, now there is an update. The FBI told Target USA on Thursday, September 21st, 2017, It had looked into the matter, and it was a hoax. When asked if Russia was involved, an FBI spokesperson said they would not comment on anything regarding Russia, citing the sensitivity of other investigations. When asked if the Bureau ever determined who was behind the hoax, the spokesperson declined to comment. But as we've already told you in the previous episode, the intelligence community is certain that on the order of Russian President Vladimir Putin, Russian intelligence operatives mounted the interference campaign. So what we wanted to do now in this episode is explore a little bit about how they did it and the mindset of Russian intelligence operatives. 
when we talk about Russia, remember that this is a nation of chess players. Dr. Christopher Paul is a senior social scientist with the RAND Corporation. He told us there are two key chess-related elements to keep in mind when investigating the Russian meddling operation. One is thinking tens, if not dozens of moves ahead and planning meticulously the way things unfold. Dozens of moves in the spy game can translate into years. The other element is opportunism. Because chess is a two-player game, and if your opponent makes a mistake, you can opportunistically exploit that. And there was a mistake. It happened at the State Department in the early 1990s. In 1991-92, senior members of the State Department felt as though old Russia was gone, a new Russia was emerging, they're friends, we can work with them. And Robert Booth, former deputy director of counterintelligence at the State Department, said that error led to an even bigger one. Russian diplomats who visited the State Department did not have to be escorted. Imagine that. Russian diplomats roaming the halls here at Foggy Bottom, unescorted. We tried to alert our senior members to this situation. But their warnings were ignored. Uh, we were somewhat rebuffed. And eight years later, we find the Russians had put a bug inside the State Department in Washington, D.C. Some intelligence experts say allowing Russian diplomats to roam the State Department unescorted in the early 1990s created the climate that allowed the foundation to be laid that eventually led to the 2016 Russian election meddling operation. There are several investigations going on in Washington to get to the bottom of it. One of them is being conducted by the Senate Intelligence Committee. And we had the good fortune to speak exclusively with Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, the vice chairman of the Intelligence Committee. And without divulging anything classified, he drilled down deeply into what they know about that Russian meddling operation. What we have seen in the 2016 election was an unprecedented attempt by Russia to manipulate our most democratic most basic democratic process, our electoral process, and really kind of the jewel of the crown, the presidential process. Russia has, long time back as a time in the Soviet Union, was an agent of misinformation. Uh, when it was a communist dictatorship, it used propaganda to con con contain its own people. And many of the tactics that Russia used in 2016 in America, they've been using for the last decade in places like Poland and Hungary and Romania and, of course, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. Specifically what Russia did, they started a campaign where they hacked into private individual accounts, both parties' accounts, Democrats and Republicans, but decided to only release information that was harmful to the Democratic candidate Clinton somewhere mid-spring to summer. The Russians changed from saying they just wanted to sow chaos to where they decided they'd rather see Trump over Clinton. So the first was the selective hacking of information and letting that information then be released at critical times. The second part of their campaign, which was even more sophisticated, was using modern technology, using the Internet, so-called Internet trolls, where they would pay people, and they worked across Russia and parts of Eastern Europe, who would go out and create fake Twitter accounts or fake Facebook accounts or actually create, capture computer networks called botnets. So if you capture a group of computers, they're called a botnet. If you take create fake accounts, they're called bots. And then 
though they would use those fake accounts to, in effect, flood the zone with false news, fake information. And the results of this were that when there's been data scientists that have shown that in certain areas, for example, in Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania, for example, the last 10 days of the campaign, you wouldn't hear stories about Clinton versus Trump if you were getting the news from Twitter feed or from a Facebook news feed. There would be so many people hitting those uh, regional accounts that what would happen would be the top stories that would come up on your news feed would be stories about Hillary Clinton being sick or Hillary Clinton stealing money from the State Department. And, and it really was a, a remarkable campaign and we're seeing them use some of these same tactics right now in the French elections and that are going on uh, even as we speak. And I met with the head of the German intelligence services recently, and, and they found that the G Russians literally hacked the whole German parliament, the Bundestag, and um, they're expecting these same kind of active measures in the German elections later this year. This interview took place earlier this year. In fact, in April, and it happened before much of the information that we now know came out. So what Senator Warner was doing was giving us his view on what was available at the time. One of the things we asked him about was if Russia actually felt as though they succeeded in this this endeavor or if they failed. Not at all, J.J. I think from any standpoint, the Russians felt their campaign was successful. It clearly sowed division in our country. Nobody's going to look back at the 2016 election, no matter who you supported, and say it was a, a, a pretty, pretty campaign. And clearly their favored candidate uh, was more successful. We had a public hearing last week, and one of, the, one of our, our witnesses testified that what, in a, in a sense, helped uh, some of the Russian misinformation was when then-candidate Trump would actually repeat some of the same stories that the Russia was trying to promote, such as that our elections were rigged or there wasn't a fair process. Because Russia does not like to see democratic processes work, whether it's in Germany, whether it's in France. I was with the Dutch head of intelligence today. They were so worried they had to count all of their recent national election ballots by hand because they were fearful of what the Russians have done. And remember, they took on all of these campaigns, if you count all these campaigns of the cost of what they did in America, what they're doing right now in Europe, it's way less than the cost of a single fighter jet. Um, so this is an asymmetrical threat that we face. And if we don't find both better defenses and potentially offensive methods, uh, we will see this again in 2018. We'll see it again in 2020. And for our local listing audience, and as a Virginian, I worry that we could even see it in the state legislative and gubernatorial elections in Virginia. And remember, Putin's goal is not to favor the Democrats or Republicans. His goal is to make America weaker economically, socially, and to make people have less faith in our democratic process. Senator Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, talking to us about the Russia investigation. And we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to ask him where the investigation has taken them so far when we return to Target USA. The National Security Podcast. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. 
We were talking before the break with Senator Mark Warner, Vice Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And this interview took place in April of 2017. It's now September 22nd, 2017. In the interest of transparency, we have not interviewed Senator Warner since April of this year, but we've kept up with every single development that's taken place. The interview that we did in April was very compelling because it set the stage for what we should expect. And it's even more compelling now, knowing what we know. You and your 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 partner Senator Burr, when you when you started um, your your investigation, uh, you you said uh, you're going to go where the evidence takes you as you look into this situation. And where is it going? Where is it taking you so far? Well, we I think there's fairly large consensus amongst most all senators because the whole intelligence community uh, reached a unanimous opinion that the Russians interfered in an election. They did it by using these tools of misinformation and disinformation. They favored Trump over Clinton. What we've also seen are at least a strange series of events. We saw for the first time in years the Republican Party, who's usually been known as the anti-Russia or anti-communist party, strangely changed their platform and become more pro-Russian and more anti-Ukraine. We saw then-candidate Trump actually say publicly, invite the Russians to hack Hillary Clinton's emails in a, I hope, just a overstatement during the campaign. We saw advisors to candidate Trump who were close political advisors um, predict that John Podesta, who had been Clinton's chairperson of his campaign, that he was going to be, quote, his time in the barrel was coming when, so when his emails were leaked, and, you know, interestingly enough, right after the the disturbing tape came out about Mr. Trump on the so-called Hollywood, Access Hollywood tape. Uh, we saw other affiliates, the campaign manager uh, for part of President Trump's campaign have very close ties to Russian officials and have to be dismissed for that reason. We've seen in the first 75 days of the Trump administration, the national security advisor for Mr. Trump, General Flynn, have to resign for his ties to Russia that he didn't disclose. We saw the attorney general um, who had to recuse himself because of his conversations with Russians that he didn't resolve. There's, I don't know if, I have not reached a conclusion yet, but boy, oh boy, there's a lot of smoke and there's probably a dozen other figures that have been affiliated with President Trump at one point during the campaign or during the transition who seem to have unusual ties to Russia. And we've got to get to the bottom of this. The American people deserve to know. Just uh, a question, perhaps for an anecdotal answer, because clearly you haven't finished your investigation, so you don't know the answer to this. But knowing what you know about how meticulous and methodical the Russians have been with their campaign, do you suppose that all of these people, or at least some of these people, were actually duped into engaging with these these? these Russian operatives and, and, and or at least these people who may turn out to be Russian operatives. And um, do, 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 you, do you suppose that this all happened um, by happenstance for these people? Well, there's an awful lot of coincidence. If you look at the timeline, <clears throat> for example, from the 
the changing of the Republican platform and three days later were the first release of the DNC hacks. Maybe these people, there's a term in the spy business I've learned called useful idiots, and there's a long way between useful idiots and collusion. <laughs> um, but uh, So I'm not reaching any conclusion, but um, there's also, I've got a lot of questions about, you know, the Russians are great with technology, but would, would they know where to try to influence voters in key states? For example, um, you know, the, the Democrats were clearly a little bit asleep at the switch in places like Wisconsin and Michigan. Um, how did the Russians know to be so selective on places like Wisconsin and Michigan when even the Democrats uh, didn't seem to put enough resources there? So there's a lot of questions here. And let me assure you, if, if there's nothing there, um, I'll be the first because I'd like the president to succeed. If nothing is there, to stand up and get rid of this cloud over the administration. But What's disturbing to me and what I think has raised, has made actually the situation worse for the administration is you've then got the president with making these tweets saying somehow Obama you know, wiretapped Trump Tower, which all of the, both committees, House and Senate and all of the intelligence community has said was just plain false. We've had Director Comey say there are people that are affiliated with the Trump campaign that are under investigation. We've had, uh, the chairman of the, the, the House Intelligence Committee and, and, and behavior that at best was bizarre, rushing secretly to the White House and then taking classified information that we've yet to see. We've got access to it now at NSA, but uh, the Republicans on my committee and my chairman still hasn't seen what uh, the Chairman Nunes was talking about and then rushed back to the Hill and then rushed back to the White House and um, and it all came from information from inside the White House. It just, there's so much bizarre behavior uh, that it, it um, I think it unfortunately, it sure does raise the stakes for our investigation. I was talking with a PhD who has been covering and working on Russian propaganda for, for many years and cons considers himself and is a very strong expert, Christopher Paul at the Rand Corporation, and he pointed out something that um, he said he, as, as well-versed as he is in Russian propaganda, he was surprised and both horrified at the depth and skill at, with which the Russians, uh, that the Russians had employed in this campaign, uh, and we, we we essentially missed it. And so I wanted to ask you, how far back do you think this whole charade goes? Well, this, I think this? Russians have used these tactics. I mean, you know, we've spied on them. They've spied on us. Uh, there have been historical places that I think are somewhat still classified where Russians tried to interfere in kind of an old-fashioned way in, in previous elections. But the level of sophistication now is unprecedented. Uh, and we've seen them even use worse tactics in countries like Hungary and Bulgaria, where even if they break into your personal files and personal accounts on your device, and I know somebody like you, JJ, I'm sure have got nothing on your devices that you wouldn't want the whole world to see. And if you're that kind of if you're that kind of person, what they will do, and they have done this, and there are factual basis for this, they will, can then not only break in and see what you've got on all of your your iPad and your phone, but if there's nothing there, they can plant files into your devices. So there was a story of a legislator that they didn't like. I believe it was in. Um, 
Bulgaria, where they planted a child pornography site on his device and then called the police and said, you ought to go check out this guy's devices. He's a purveyor of child pornography. So, um, you know, they have tools that they can use even if you've got nothing in your background you want to hide that could uh, incriminate you. And I think part of this is a result that for a long time in the United States, we have not taken cybersecurity seriously enough. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. for a long time we've not thought through an offensive cyber strategy. And my fear is if we don't both do a better defense and think about potential offense, we'll see the Russians continue to do this. Because other than this investigation and maybe some stories in the press, um, what price have the Russians paid other than Obama put some mild sanctions in place in late December? More than one source that I've spoken to has said and with confidence that they believe that one of the key mantras and operating principles of the Russian government is to be divorced essentially from the truth. And they don't have a problem sowing seeds of completely fictitious realities uh, in their propaganda. And I'm wondering, have you come across anything, anything that suggests that to you in your investigation? Well, I've suggest, seen nothing that suggests that the Russians have uh, an affinity for what we would call the truth. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they had uh, what they used was was real fake news, not uh, what some people have called fake news, uh, which is the <laughs> legitimate media. They've used real fake news, and I think it had some level of effect. I'm not trying to relitigate the election, but I am trying to make sure that Americans, as we think about what you see on your on your device, maybe you think twice uh, before you believe it and um, realize that we've got to have a better defense going forward. And listen, we've seen that as recently as, as the last few days where the Russians have denied that the Syrians um, used chemical weapons and, and uh, gas in, um, in some of these horrific attacks inside their own country, inside Syria. Senator Mark Warner, Vice Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Thanks for your time, sir. All right, JJ. As we pointed out several times in this episode, that interview took place in April of 2017, and it set the stage for what the Intelligence Committee suspected, what it knew, where it was going with the investigation, and what we should expect in terms of time and some other key facts that we'll lay out a little bit later on in this podcast series. Coming up, in our next episode, a deep look at the troll house operation responsible for much of the activity in the Russian meddling campaign. What would happen in a normal course of a day is they would hire these troll factories. We would know them in the old days as boiler rooms uh, in the FBI. And these folks had a certain mission, and they would go 24 hours a day. That's former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Rogers who spent a significant amount of time in the FBI and knows Russia very well. That and much more coming up as we continue our series of special reports, Anatomy of a Russian Attack. I'm J.J. Green. This has been the second of four special reports. You can expect the reports on Mondays for the next few weeks, right here on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. 
Hi, I'm Tavis Smiley. You may know me from my PBS talk show. I'm excited to tell you that I have a brand new podcast that you can hear on podcast1.com. I'll discuss the latest in politics, sports, music, and much more with big thinkers, artists, and celebrities. I'll also share my own opinions and answer some of your questions. So join the conversation on the Tavis Smiley podcast coming to podcast1.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.